Hello. It's April 6th, 2023. My name is Simone, and this is a special edition of 90s Crime Time. Hello and welcome to a brand new special edition episode of 90s Crime Time. And if you're new to 90s Crime Time, welcome to the show. I'm back with another mini-sode for you all, meaning that next week will be a brand new full-length episode. Before we begin though, I'd like to go ahead and warn you that today's episode has elements of violence that is very graphic, elder abuse, and sexual assault. So listener's discretion is advised, and with that, let's dive in to today's mini-sode. The year was 1994, and in the Iowa capital city of Des Moines, Many here boasted about the city's friendliness and sense of community. Many people here like to gather and browse the city's bustling art scene by exploring exhibits or going to art museums. Many people here also like to meet up with family and friends, maybe at a local park or go for lunch or dinner after church. If church or the arts weren't their thing per se, Many locals like to party in Des Moines' large nightlife scene. Overall, people in Des Moines, according to some reports, were considered some of the friendliest people in the U.S., with the wholesome attitudes many people in Iowa were known for. However, in October 1994, a dark cloud was cast over the friendly city of Des Moines, when a horrific tragedy occurred to one of the city's residents. And once it was learned who was behind the attack, many Des Moines residents would be shocked. In the following case, you'll find out what attack occurred, who was behind it, and the sad aftermath in a case I title, Troubled. On the evening of October 25, 1994, at around 9.30 p.m., Des Moines, Iowa residents Bernard and Gladys Parch heard a knock at their door. Thinking it was too late for visitors, Gladys peeked through her curtain and saw two teen girls outside. Through the window, she asked them what they wanted, and they told her to call 911 and to tell the sheriff to hurry up and get there. Confused, Gladys called the sheriff's department, and shortly after they arrived, the teens directed them next door to the home of Arlene Clem. Once they got to Mrs. Clem's home, 
the girls opened the door and showed the sheriffs something awful. A room full of blood. A grisly murder had taken place, and there was a body laying in the middle of it. And shortly after police arrived to the scene, one of the two teens exclaimed while crying, quote, I killed her. And the teen's name was Christina Fetters, aged 14. According to reports, Christina Joy Fetters was born on February 5, 1980, to a single mother in Des Moines. Not much is publicly known about her upbringing, but what is known is that Christina's father did not play a big part in her life. And due to this, it later affected her life. Reports state that around the time Christina was around eight, she yearned to have a father in her life. She had met him a time or two during her early childhood, but didn't understand why he wasn't around permanently. And she would frequently say, quote, I want him in my life. I need him in my life. End quote. As the years went on, even though she was still a child, Christina's resentment of not having a father in her life ate at her, and she slowly began to act out and began to run away frequently and hung around the wrong crowds. By the time she was only 12, she ran away again, but this time, after leaving her home, she met a 23-year-old man from Milwaukee named Anthony Hoover, who reports state was a wannabe gang member. Christina was attracted to Anthony Hoover, and maybe deep down, she thought he was the dad she was missing out on. So she ran away with him. This time, however, after she had been gone for a period of time, Christina's family raised the alarm and went to look for her. With the police's help, sometime in 1993, Christina was found with Anthony. But things were worse than they seemed. Because according to reports, Anthony refused to let Christina go and held her at gunpoint until he was forced by police to do so. After the incident, police later learned that while Christina was being held by Anthony, he apparently sexually assaulted her. Anthony was later arrested for a multitude of charges after the incident, including statutory rape, kidnapping, and assault although it's unclear what his sentence was. After the incident, Christina's behavior apparently went out of control. And after trying to keep everything at bay with Christina, in January 1994, her family sent her to live at the facility Orchard Place, a facility for children with mental health issues and behavior problems. While at Orchard Place, Christina was prescribed the antidepressant Prozac, which she hated to take. But she seemed to have adjusted to the facility as best as she could, and she sought solace from religion. While she wasn't having the greatest time at Orchard Place, 
Every once in a while, she would receive letters of support from a certain distant relative, her great aunt named Arlene Clem. According to reports, Arlene Clem was a retired insurance worker and was a widow to her loving husband of several years named Wayne. Arlene and Wayne had no children of their own, but they doted on the many children they had in their family, including Christina. Christina was said to have been one of the Clem's closest nieces, and reports state that whenever Christina was in trouble, Wayne was always there for her. And if she needed things like clothing, Wayne would take care of her. But sometimes Arlene would not like this. She loved Christina dearly, but didn't shower her with gifts like Wayne did. And when Arlene would say no to Christina, Wayne would pretty much always say yes. So after Wayne passed away, Christina took it hard. However, Arlene tried to keep a presence in Christina's life. And like mentioned before, she kept in contact with her while she was housed at the facility. Although Arlene was trying to keep a relationship with Christina, by 1995, Christina was spiraling mentally. She had had enough of Orchard Place and taking her Prozac. She wanted to be free, and she wanted to leave independently. But she didn't have a job or any money, so she came up with a plan. According to reports, Christina began hatching a plan to escape Orchard Place with a few of her roommates. And she told them that once they escaped, they could get some money and a truck by going to her aunt's home. But her plan was sinister because reports state she told her roommates that in order to get the money and truck, she would have to kill her aunt. As Christina hatched the plan, she seemed to get angrier and angrier dead set on killing her aunt to get valuables to start a new life. Fast forwarding to October 25th, 1995, Christina and a roommate named Jeannie Fox each packed a bag and walked out of the unlocked facility. On the way to her aunt's home, Christina and Jeannie apparently stopped at three different friends' homes, and Christina discussed her plan. And according to reports, each friend that talked to Christina thought she seemed to know how her plan was going to play out. Later that evening, Christina and Jeannie arrived to her aunt Arlene's home. But a van Christina didn't recognize was parked outside, so she assumed a guest was visiting. Due to this, the teens concealed themselves outside the house near a fence and waited for the owners of the van to leave. After the van owners left, Christina and Jeannie went up to the house and Arlene let them in. After settling inside, Christina pulled Jeannie in a side room 
and told her she was about to do it. After the proclamation, Christina crept into the kitchen where Arlene was and struck her on the head from behind with a kettle. When Arlene got up, she asked what happened, but then Christina struck her on the head with a skillet. Christina then requested for Jeannie to hand her a knife, and after it was handed to her, Christina got on top of Arlene and attempted to slit her throat. After that didn't work, Christina got a bigger knife and began stabbing Arlene in the back. Arlene was screaming and asked Jeannie for help. She also attempted to reach for a phone in the kitchen area, but Christina told her no and removed the phone from the hook. And she kept stabbing and stabbing her aunt until Arlene's last breath. 73-year-old Arlene Clem was dead. After the murder, Christina removed Arlene's bloody clothing. She then took some necklaces and began looking for the keys to her aunt's safe and truck, but was unable to locate them. Christina and Jeannie then left the scene, but once they were outside, Christina thought she heard sirens. The two girls then started running, but something overcame Christina and she began to cry, possibly already remorseful for what she had done. And then they went to the neighbors for help. After revealing the scene to the sheriff, Christina and Jeannie were both arrested and sent to juvenile detention. However, Jeannie was later found not liable for the murder, leaving Christina the only one in hot water. And by the end of 1994, Christina Fetters was charged with her aunt Arlene Clem's murder. And by the time her trial started in 1995, prosecution decided to try Christina as an adult. During her trial, the defense tried to argue that Christina was insane, and her mother testified that she tried to get her daughter off of Prozac because she and Christina felt the pill was making her behavior worse. However, the prosecution claimed Christina meticulously planned the murder of Arlene for months and knew what she was doing. The prosecution even called Jeannie to the stand, and she testified that while Christina was stabbing Arlene, she kept yelling Anthony over and over. And to prosecutors, that meant to them that not only was Christina trying to rob Arlene, but that she was taking out her anger of being abused by Anthony years earlier out on her as well. Eventually, in December 1995, a jury found Christina guilty of first-degree murder, and she was sentenced to life without parole later that month, making her the youngest person ever in the state of Iowa at that time to have such a sentence. Years 
after her sentencing, in 2008, her attorneys filed a petition challenging her life sentence, arguing cruel and unusual punishment that was in violation of the Constitution and Iowa state law. The petition was unsuccessful, and over the next few years, her attorneys used other cases where teens had been given life without parole and then given shorter sentences, in hopes of giving Christina another chance, but still to no avail. While appealing her case in 2009, Christina gave an interview to a local newspaper apologizing for her actions, and she said, quote, I take full responsibility. I can't justify my behavior. I took her life, end quote. Four years later, in 2013, Christina and her attorneys prepared to appeal again, until tragedy struck Christina. At the age of 33, she was diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. Due to this, her attorneys sought parole early for Christina. And to their luck, in December 2013, a judge granted Christina a compassionate release, but she was to be in custody of hospice care under supervision. However, many of Arlene's family was against this. They felt just because Christina was terminally ill didn't mean she should be released early. They thought she should spend her last days behind bars because she was sentenced to life without parole. Subsequently, after entering hospice, Christina's health deteriorated fast, and on July 27, 2014, Christina Fetters died at the age of 34. The story of Arlene Clem's murder comes from the sources of the Des Moines Register, Quad City Times, The Courier, and others I'll put in the notes. Right. So that's the end of that case of the murder of Arlene Clem. And I have a very, very, very short opinion piece uh, slash questionable uh, piece because I just want to know. I, and I couldn't find anything first off about Christina's father. Um, she yearned for her father and I know she had daddy issues and possibly getting with um, Anthony Hoover. Not in that way. I don't think she went there to like be in a relationship with a 23 year old at 12 but I do think she probably saw him as a daddy figure and you know thought he was cool because he was trying to be a gang member or whatnot but um I don't know anything about her father or anything like that but I do feel bad that she did not have a father in her life um but I just want to know why Jeannie Fox was not charged because I tried to find everywhere think uh, seeing the motive or reason why Jeannie was not charged because she was there at the scene and she apparently handed Christina one of the knives to stab Arlene and I don't know if she was granted immunity because she was going to testify against Christina that's what I'm thinking but she was there. I think she should have gotten something. But if she was given immunity for a test, uh, uh, not a uh, what do you call it? 
a confession or whatever, or, you know, to testify against Christina. I can see that, but I still don't think it's fair at all because she was there and she apparently, Arlene begged Christina and um, Jeannie for help, but Jeannie didn't help at all. And Jeannie apparently was apparently scared or whatever, but, and I can see that, but she, like I said, she was there and I feel like both of them should have served jail. That's just me. But like I said, if she was given immunity for testifying against Christina, I get it there. But I couldn't even see a reason why she wasn't charged. But she did testify against Christina on the stand. So there's that, unfortunately. But I don't think it's fair. And what I read also during my research on this case was that shortly after she was sent to prison, Christina went on the Mari Povich show. You know, the Mari show where they're like, you're not the father. But before um, all the baby daddy drama on Mari... Um, she claimed on Mari that, um, Arlene was racist against her because she was half black and, um, she felt like Arlene, well, she said that Arlene didn't want, you know, a half black child around her family or whatever. And she apparently told, according to Christina, that she said that her mom, that Arlene told her mom that this would happens when you get with N words. I don't know how true that is. I don't know if Christina was just saying that to sort of have like, have a motive for killing Arlene besides robbery. I don't know. But like I said, she did um, apologize later on when she became an adult for killing Arlene and she took full responsibility for it. Um, but what also I read uh, Christina about Christina was surprising that a lot of people said she was not the monster that the media proclaimed to be. To be. And one journalist, while Christina was in prison, said he was thoroughly shocked because she he felt that he ha- she had a lot a battered childhood and she took her anger out on Arlene and that it was punish it was punishable of course but Christina seemed to be pretty sweet in that she was just once trouble a troubled teen and she was um well sorry for the car in the background you guys sorry hold on all right. So she wasn't as bad as people thought she was. Yes, she was a murderer, but she had a troubled background and he was not excusing her um, behavior, her uh, kill, how she killed Arlene. But um, he, she was, he thought she wasn't as bad as people thought she seemed and that she was redeemable and that he was kind of glad that she got a compassionate release because she felt he felt that she was one of the inmates that did not deserve to be in prison for life, um, especially after she got her diagnosis of breast cancer. And I felt that that was very sad because a lot of other inmates and people who grew up with Christina said that she was one of the sweetest people, but she had her demons and she was troubled. She wasn't just sinister um, just all the way around. She just had a moment where she snapped and unfortunately took it out on an innocent victim. And that's it. Thank you for tuning in to this brand new mini-sode of 90s Crime Time, and I hope you found this case interesting. If you liked what you heard and you haven't already, please rate the show on Apple or Spotify, where they have a rating system. I take pros and cons, good or bad ratings. I prefer good ratings, of course, because like I said, I do try really hard on the show, believe it or not. But if you don't like the show, let me know as well. And I'll try to improve because I do sometimes read your comments on Apple. Just try not to be too mean. Okay, I have feelings. (laughs) Um, Also, if you follow um, 90s Crime Time on Instagram or Facebook, I'd like to know what you think about the show there as well. I'm more on Instagram than Facebook, but I do sometimes check in on Facebook and I see the new followers. Thank you guys for following on both platforms. I really appreciate your support. Um, Just let me know what you think about this case in the comments. 
Um, also, what was I going to say? Da, 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 da. Oh, yes. Please check out 90s Crime Time on YouTube where I upload new videos frequently and plan on having a new episode this weekend. And I do plan on coming back next week with a full length episode on the show, the podcast. And I can't wait for you to listen. And speaking of the show, I would also love for you to tell your friends and family about 90s Crime Time. Because after I had an extended absence from the show, I feel like I have lost quite a bit of uh, subscribers. And I understand because I was gone for a while, but I'm back and I would love for you all to come back again. So tell your friends and family, if you're a fan of 90s Crime Time, to download, listen, subscribe, whatnot. I would love to have new followers. Um, but in any case, stay safe and healthy. And oh, by the way, if you follow 90s Crime Time on Instagram, I'll have new posts of new kind uh, 90s Crime Time stories this weekend, um, except for tomorrow, which is Flashback Friday, where I do cases of crimes that happened before 1990. Um, but anyway, stay safe and healthy, and I'll see you soon for a brand new episode of 90s Crime Time.